Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 21 of Robot Radio. This is Greg Stanwood along with Andrew Martin. Um, it's been a bit of a slow week because of the All-Star break. Uh, we had the All-Star game and then just the uh, three-game series over at Cincinnati. So, hey, let me just go off topic for a minute here and we'll okay. just talk off topic the rest of the podcast. How's that sound? Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you would be absolutely thrilled with an off-topic <laughs> podcast. For uh, anyone listening who doesn't isn't a normal, regular, like regular super commenter on Purple Row or something, don't worry. We're not going to be swarmed with off-topic all the time anymore. You'll get your baseball news, and it'll be a little more filtered. So, just wanted to throw that out there right now. You might as well actually explain this here, since we do get some of our our our, our viewership to. Uh, uh, you know, listen to this podcast. I actually am not sure, entirely sure what the change is is doing. Are you adding like a separate thread to every rock pile for off topic discussion? Yeah, what we're gonna do here is um over the past week here we hit the All Star game, but then during the week it was a relatively slow week for the Rockies as far as news went. I mean, we got some injury updates, and that was really it. I didn't see too much more other. Than, I mean, we mentioned. Uh, we talked about – or Troy Rank mentioned uh, Dan Ugle stuff as the Tracy Ringlesby, and I think we're going to touch on it later in the podcast. But yep. past that, there really wasn't much news. So a handful of the regulars went absolutely berserk, including myself. I'm not going to absolve myself here. But we just decided to just talk about whatever and ever and ever and ever, and we ended up having an overflow every day. So we know a lot of regulars are, are not regulars. I should say people who just come in to browse, see the news, see what's up. Point is, a lot of off-topic conversation. So if any of our listeners on the podcast here are a little frustrated with that, we're going to start doing a, at least experiment with it, <clears throat> having a daily off-topic thread that will um, – it's going to be its own article. It'll be posted right before the rock pile, so it'll be below the rock pile on the front page there, and all the off-topic conversation is going to be attempted to be routed into that off-topic discussion, so that way everything in the rock pile attempts to remain as baseball-related as possible, because we all know it's a little frustrating some days when we're not in a jabbering mood, and we just want to come in and we see, oh, 100 new posts, oh man, did a trade happen, did someone get demoted, did someone get hurt, and it's all people discussing what favorite Star Wars character is in the best band, and what movies they enjoy. Of course, and... I, I enjoy discussion like that, but having an off-topic thread will still allow for it, and it'll keep everything uh, everything a little bit more filtered. So, And we're going to hope that this works. It's kind of an experiment this week, and I'm heading it up because I've uh, I, I've been one of the, the more active of our uh, staff on the website lately just because, I don't know, I get bored of work or something like that. Anyhow, um, so... You know, we'll get now that you want, we're going off topic about off topic. But so anybody who wants to read Purple Row, but they haven't, they've been kind of shying away because of all the uh, just off topic blather. You know, give us another shot here. We're going to see if this works out, and it, it sh- if it does work out, then we'll it'll be all back to the way things should be, just with one thread filled with you know garbage and stupidity. Uh, garbage and stupidity. Oh, uh, dude, my off topic talk is just garbage and stupidity, and occasionally what music I'm interested in. I'm kind of an off-topic person just in the sense that I, uh, you know, baseball is just one of, you know, many things that interest me. And so I uh, often end up talking about film or television or philosophy or something like that. Well, so, it'll be great. This way you'll have a venue to do it with or an, an avenue to go down that will involve people saying, dude, could you please steer it back on topic? <laughs> yeah. And for the, I mean, because this the Purple Road is, it's a combination like a website and a community as well. You know, we, uh, we try to get everyone the most updated Rockies news possible, everyone bringing fresh analysis to the table, <clears throat> things of that nature. But at the same time, um, 
you know, we don't want to try to deny people the right to make new friends on there, establish relationships, you know, go to, you know, plan to meet up at games and stuff like that. It makes everything a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. So um, the thought is that we're going to try to keep both aspects going, just try to keep them a little more separate so that if you feel like coming in and joining the music discussion, you're more than welcome. We'll be happy to have you. And then if you really would just rather know what's going on to Lewitsky's rehab or, you know, why Seth Smith was or was not benched or whatever, then you'll have the rock pile as normal to discuss these things. Yeah, I, I sounds like a, a, a beneficial addition, and uh, so we'll keep an eye out for that. When does it start? Tomorrow morning. I'm gonna, I, I have tomorrow's rock pile, so that means I'll have tomorrow's off-topic as well. Okay. Um, in that case, now that we've got all that established, let's, let's move on to the on-topic discussion of the podcast, and uh, we'll talk about Dan Ugla for a little bit. Um, we have a situation where we kind of have some conflicting information about whether or not, or or I guess more specifically, just how interested the team is in Dan Ugla right now. A lot of the, the, the Purple Row community is in support of, of acquiring him, and I mean, th- there's some disagreement there, but... I think it's a pretty decent split. I don't think anyone's 100% really? on it, but Well, I mean, that's I, true. That's true. I I don't I wouldn't say anyone's 100%, but I We need, we need a yes or no poll honestly to find out where everyone lies because we have a lot of lurkers on our website and people who don't post regularly who just don't voice their opinions because so far the discussion about Ugly has become a drag, you know, drag out knockdown fight every and that, single time. That, that's absolutely true about the polls because uh, I've been posting a Friday poll for every rock pile I've been doing just for fun and the uh, amount of votes on the polls seem to be significantly more than the number of commenters in the Oh, uh, absolutely. So, I mean, maybe even tomorrow with your Monday rock pile, you should uh you should add that poll just to see what uh what people have to say about it. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll we'll make it clear that it's a scientific poll that's there for science. <laughs> a purple row in science. Don't. Exactly. Well, I, I wrote about second base last week, so I don't think anyone wants to hear me uh, bad-mouthing Johnny Herrera anymore. Right. So, um, looking at what people have been saying outside of our community, we have plenty of reports, particularly from mostly kind of national sports writers, ESPN, Fox Sports Net type people who, or I guess not Fox Sports Net, Fox Sports type people. They're actually different entities, believe it or not. Um, They, that, you know, have just been pointing out that there's reasons that our names are, that our name is being tied to Dan Oglo. The need could be there and that apparently that some sort of contact has been made on the issue. And then you have Troy Rank also kind of hinting at, uh, at that, whether or not, I mean, some posters haven't haven't have been pointing out that we shouldn't quite be taking him literally that he that that the team itself has actually been in negotiations but Tracy Ringlesby seems to think that we haven't even been bringing his name up since the winter meetings well i i'm a, i'm a little uh <clears throat> sketch on the two sources there cuz for one i have an obvious bias towards Troy Rank cuz he's been in good communication with our website um, he's definitely a regular reader on the website. Um, yeah, he and he he interacts with all the staff regularly. So yeah, I mean he's very. I mean he doesn't post. He, we're not gonna. There's not a secret Troy Rank username or something like that. But he does appreciate our community and our uh, and our and our analysis and commentary. And I think it's a pleasant diversion for him, seeing how he's up to his nose in this stuff every day. Anyways, um, 
But the point is, is that, you know, we have our bias toward Troy Rank because he is, like we just said, very familiar with us now. But that's not to say that Tracy Ringlesby denies our existence because I'm 90% sure that Andrew Fisher's been in direct communication with Ringlesby as well. I have um, too. And One. you have too, and I know that Rock's Girl has as well. So, I mean, it's not quite as frequent and not quite as uh, <clears throat> um, publicized, I guess. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's – the reason that I um, – I just seem more prone to believe Rank right now because, well, I mean, he's getting what he's hearing as soon as it's happening. And that's not to say that Ringlesby isn't, but Ringlesby's news updates seem – I mean, maybe this is just me and I miss it or something like that. But I check Twitter very regularly, and I don't – I mean, and I know that Twitter's not the only source of information, but – when it comes to instant, I mean, the fact that Ringlesby has one says he's probably using it, and he always seems to come with something like every once in a while, as compared to Troy Rank, who's usually tweeting on a daily basis. So I'm, for starters, wondering why it is that Rank has given us, you know, just about everything, and Ringlesby holding off until just something big comes up to mention. Secondly, I also just the my brief analysis of the two of them. Just just recently, Rank last night t- tweeted about um, uh, on-base percentage and how he thinks it's a crime that nobody seems to take a walk anymore. They give away outs too easily, and that uh, he says since when is a less than a three seventy on-base percentage a good thing, and stuff like that. So that obviously puts him more in my category there. But I see Ringlesby as more as as a. Uh, um, an old guard kind of writer, and I don't mean to say that condescendingly or negatively, but he seems to be more the kind of guy who wants to, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, maybe back the organization or kind of keep up the smoke and mirrors thing going on or something like that, because there's an awful lot of talk about Dan Ugla. For, I mean, especially for Rank to be talking about him as well, for him to just come out and say, no, 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 nothing's happening. Well, there, there's a couple schools of thought on this. I'll, I'll I'll get into specifically why I agree with Rank in a minute, but I think that th- there are a couple completely legitimate possibilities as to why they have different uh, answers. I mean, A, they could have talked to completely different people about it, or they could have uh, different definitions of what exactly talks mean. Like, Ringlesby might not consider Dan Ugla's name brought up on the phone just as is a talk. It, he, he might be expecting, uh, you know, tr- names being brought up for a specific trade or something like that. You know, that that's just a, a thought. I, I don't necessarily know that that's exactly how it went down or anything. But, I mean, differences in, in that sort of definition can cause schisms of sort between different writers or that sort of thing. Um, Ringlesby's gotten a lot of accusations before about being kind of a, a you know, a... a regularly backing up the teams so, so to speak but i can't say that i've really noticed it because he's he's also criticized them when they have uh when they have legitimate issues even when they don't necessarily agree so well, I, I don't necessarily know if that's good enough though because some i mean everybody you can criticize the organization easily enough every i mean everyone criticizes the organization that's uh that's pretty easy to do. I mean, you can criticize. I, I criticize everything about everything, except according to the people on the uh, on the internet who think that anyone who talks about the team negatively at Purple Row gets banned. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I forget that if you don't talk approvingly of every single move they make, that you're not welcome on our website. I'm sorry. I I, I only regularly badmouth the team and and the organization and frustrations with their slow movements and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the point being. 
I don't see I, I, I haven't seen Ringlesby come out that much recently blasting the team for not making big moves. And I'm not saying Rank does that, but Rank will at least say, like, for example, at the beginning of, I believe it was 2009, when I was saying, why on earth have we not picked up Joe Bimel and Orlando Hudson? Those two will both help our team. And granted, we made the playoffs anyways, but I'm almost of the opinion that those extra, like, couple wins that would have happened in April when Orlando Hudson had that destructive hot streak might have pushed us over the division top. It's just things like that. And Rank says, you know what? That's a good point. They would fit well with the organization, but the organization's being a bit tight right now. And and it it wasn't so much saying, ah, the cheap furts are meh, 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 I'm Mark Kisla. It was more along the lines of like, you know, these are moves they're making, and they kind of confuse me as well. I think Rank, and I I, I could be wrong here, and I apologize if I'm mixing him up with somebody else, but I think he was one of the ones who was also a little bit more skeptical of the team signing Melvin Mora based on the grounds of versatility. Which makes me happy, too, to know that the beat writers are putting out opinions as well. It's mostly their job to report what's happening. But, I mean, Troy Runk has more going on in his baseball reporting career than just saying, oh, hey, there's news about Tulowitzki. He's going to be out for a couple more weeks. That's all. I mean, he's, he's yeah, and Ringles be the phenomenal writer, too. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, for Pete's sake. And But it, he just seems a lot more hesitant to be bringing up negative things about the organization. And maybe he's trying to maintain good communications with certain people in there who don't take kindly to bad writing or whatever. But I, I guess I'm just more prone to believe Rank because he's willing to step out a little bit and say this is probably what they should be doing and I'm not sure why they're not. Well, as or for me, versa. it's not necessarily because I trust one or don't trust the other or anything like that. As I've kind of been explaining in the comments section, though, whenever this comes up, I find it increasingly hard to believe that uh, there's absolutely been no time over the year, particularly recently, where we've had somebody in a meeting, conference call, something like that, bring up the possibility or ask, say, hey, Florida, how's the availability for Dan Ugla? You know, even that should be considered interest on our part. Well, let me um, throw this out there, too, just as another point of conjecture here. We've talked about um, – I think it's most – I don't think we've brought it up on the podcast before, but at least in the comments section where I say, well, we were looking ugly this winter. And I'm kind of calling you out a little bit here, but don't take it too hard, Greg. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you said, I don't even remember anyone saying that this winter, and I – was like, well, Jason Stark said it. And he said, well, Jason Stark says everything. And now <laughs> Ringlesby has pretty much completely confirmed that. If the sparse amount of information that we saw from, anal- ma- you know, like mainstream analysts saying, you know, well, Dan Ugly could be, you know, a fit for the Rockies this offseason. And we think that they might be inquiring about him. We're not sure um, if that's, I mean, because it, it wasn't exactly as big of a publicized thing as it seems to be now. It, the Rockies, it, well, be, the- it certainly wasn't because I legitimately had somehow missed the, the interest in Ugla during that point. And the fact I, that Ringlesby uh, comes back after that small amount of information, though, and says, I mean, and granted, he's, done, he's trying to, to refute our talks now, but he says, we haven't talked about Ugla since winter. Well, he just confirmed that we were talking about Ugla this winter, and right. the only people covering it were a couple, you know, rumblings, Jason Stark's rumblings and grumblings or whatever. And, and basically, someone like Ringlesby hadn't really mentioned much of anything at all. And so now that everyone seems to be jumping on this, I something i mean i'm probably drawing a correlation causality fallacy here in the sense that just because more people are talking about it now that means there's even more validity that's not necessarily true but it you know 
it is something to think about because obviously I don't have a wiretap into uh, the Rockies front office. I'm still working on that. Um, they, uh, the fact that it's it's making new, you know, make this analysis is making news is uh, something to think about because you you, you could also reasonably speculate that maybe. Ringlesby's reference to talking about Ugla in the winter is is something he he too only found out about, you know, from someone like Stark or something post post transaction or post discussion, and then just never really considered it relevant enough to discuss until now. But let's think about this too: the fact that Ringlesby felt the need, and like I mentioned, he doesn't really give us these updates regularly. I mean, not to say he's all once a month writer or something like that, but when he comes out to say something. It usually means the fact that he took the energy and effort to actually come out and say, no, no, refute all of this, that almost tells me something's up too. Because if he's willing to come out and say something about it, I mean, why would he be – why would he not just be like, ah, whatever, it's internet trade rumors, who cares? Now just for some semantics discussion, let's take a look real quick at the actual tweet that Ringlesby posted uh, seven hours ago as of the recording of this uh, – this podcast, he said, "Amazing how media can create a rumor and keep feeding it." Rockies have not been in pursuit of Florida's second baseman Dan Ugla since last winter. So, looking at a word like pursuit, I guess he's not necessarily saying that no discussion of Dan Ugla has occurred. Just it might have been nothing more than a passing, uh, you know, question about his availability. And then, you know, we we've been getting reports from other people also that. Ugla is really not available. I mean, he could be made to be, but the official Florida position is that Contu's available and someone else was available. Cody Ross maybe was available, but not Dan Ugla at this point. So it's completely possible as well that what Ringle's speech is trying to tell us is that th- there's no validity in the uh, – the action of, of Ugla more so than his name actually being on our radar at all. I guess that stands to reason. I mean, he, uh, he's he got to be saying something, and yes, we might be overblowing a rumor, because I mean, we've seen this happen before. I mean, you know, big... Uh, do you remember, uh, like, 2008? Or no, it was 2008, yeah, the big Manny Ramirez trade? How mm-hmm. we were sure he was going to either Florida or Tampa, I can't remember, one of the two Florida baseball teams. And then, like, it was pretty much a done deal, according to all the media. And then, like, 45 minutes later, he's suddenly in Los Angeles. Right. I just, I, that's an interesting uh, thought as well, the fact that, well, yeah. They, who knows what to believe? They're all liars. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you have anything more to say about Dan Oglo, whether or not you want to talk about what if he'd be a good acquisition or not, particularly since it looks like it's not really going to be all that likely of a, of an occurrence. But if you have anything to say about it, well, I don't necessarily think we can rule it out either. I mean, I, there's the thought process that where there's smoke, there's fire. But then again, I think we just have a lot of smokers and, and, and the, and the baseball media. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not necessarily, I'm about 50, 50 on the concept of where there's smoke, there's fire because, you know, something's in the works doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but I personally, um, I think Dan Ugla would be a welcome addition in my mindset. Okay. We need a right-handed bat. All our power, except for Tulowitzki, all our good players seem to be right-handed. I mean, yes, Ionetta as well, but considering he's um, at best a platoon partner right now, um, yeah, I just don't we, – we need a right-handed bat in the lineup. It's just a fact. 
I would agree with that. We at the very least need an upgraded right-handed bat. I, I don't know if necessarily in the starting lineup, but uh, if we got ugly, it would be in the starting lineup. What do you think about the notion of putting him in at first base? I haven't really done a lot of research on whether or not that's a reasonable idea, but there appears to be a great deal of skepticism as to whether or not, A, that's a good idea at all, or B, Ugla would be interested in uh, learning to do it. Well, I think that it's important to remember that he's not going to want to do it. We do not want to have, trade for a guy and then have him be completely dissatisfied of the team. I mean, right. worst case scenario, we get draft picks when he refuses to sign with us, but um, that could also spark you know, a, a semi-rebuild as well. If uh, not necessarily saying that Dan Ugla will be the make or break of the uh, the entire team, but I think you kind of see where I'm going with that. If we trade a lot, if we trade a decent number of prospects away for him, even if I'm I'm not saying the entire A list, but you know, we move a big name in there. That's one big name that we won't be having in the next couple of years here. Right. So we'll have to wait for someone else to show up. Anyhow, um, the biggest complaint I've seen about him really is that defense is defense, and honestly, and and my my initial reaction is obviously to go to the numbers. And the defensive <laughs> metrics, while I don't put a lot of stock into them, and they're admittedly flawed, and I mean, I don't think we're ever going to have a satisfactory defensive metric. We can look at error rates, which are at least something. Because error, I mean, a, a fielding percentage will tell you at least what they do with the balls they can get to, but they don't tell you anything about range and right. so on and so forth. Fielding, um, fielding percentage and stuff like that are very good uh, statistics for looking at what a player has done but they're not exactly not predictive no right exactly that you can't really look at uh someone who's had you know four hour, four errors in a very short contained period of time where something was bothering them or something and then say oh they're a bad fielder uh so and you, that's the it, problem too with having to bring up i i we we shouldn't go too much more i think we've brought this up every single time we've mentioned fielding metrics too so uh well the I, disclaimer it, yes it i happens, realize it, it happens more in the comment section than on the podcast, but well, fair yeah. enough. I, we we'd have to give a lot of disclaimers about the fact that we recognize that fielding metrics are not the end all to fielding. That there's other good stuff to think about. Blah blah blah. Um, eye test is probably still pretty accurate as far as who's a good fielder and who's not. If you know what you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. Point is, fielding metrics on Dan Ugla give him an average to slightly below average to slightly above average. He's an average fielder at second base. The the reaction there is, well, we have ground ballers, so we need to freak out and worry about Dan Ugly booting every single ball that comes to him. we got to remember that an average fielder, we're so spoiled right now by our organization's quest for having excellent fielders at as many positions as possible that we hate the concept of, wait, you mean a subpar fielder at second base? Let's remember the fact that in 2008, we had Jeff Baker at second base for a while, and we had played Ian Stewart at second base in 2008 and 2009. Um, we are clearly more concerned about having the solid glove at first base, a solid receiver, or sorry, solid glove at short and a solid receiver at first. And you have that in Tulowitzki and Helton. Um, if, I mean, because imagine if Jeff Baker had stuck. If his bat had never cooled down, if, mm-hmm. if whatever, if he proved that he could be a regular, you know, 800 OPS guy in the lineup who provides average defense at best, we were, the organization clearly would have humored that idea because Baker was cost controlled and other good things like that. Now, while Ugly isn't cost controlled, he is a bigger bat than anybody we've had at second base in. I don't think we've ever really had a big bat at second base unless we, you know, look at the very, the short term successes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ugly has a history of being a big bat, 
and I'm really okay with that. He's, I mean, he's not super slick Clint Barmas. Yeah, he's probably going to cost us a couple runs over the course of the season. But when we're talking about trotting out a guy like Barmas who can post a 700 OPS with a wicked glove and Johnny Herrera who debate whatever we want to, but really shouldn't be, I mean, there's a distinct chance that moving forward he will, you know, show himself to be more of a utility level talent mm-hmm. with it with again with a wicked glove we basically have this basically johnny herrera ha- can hit more singles clint barmish can hit more bombs both play wicked defense at second base and herrera's a switch hitter those are that, that's what you got there otherwise they're essentially the same skill set a subpar bat with above average defense so you know excellent defense even mm-hmm. if we trade that out for a well above average bat and average to slightly sub average defense I mean, I don't think we can legitimately put numbers on it because I, once again, have very little faith in actually quantifying fielding metrics. But I think that's a plus net. And the thought is with moving into – if he's not happy at moving to first base, like I said, I don't want to have a malcontent in the lineup because he doesn't want to play where he is. If Uggle can put up average defense at second base, play him at second base. I mean, this is all hypothetical saying we can get him. Keep him at second base. That pushes probably Herrera to the Springs, which is too bad, but you know what? We have options on him. He'll be fine. We'll bring him up next year. Clint Barmas, we have him as our utility guy. Unless his bat suddenly takes fire, he's non-tendered next year. Hits free agency. Good luck to him. I'm going to miss him. Sad stories all around. Do you really think that – hang on. Let me interrupt you for a second. Please. Do you think think there's really a legitimate chance that Barmas is non-tendered at the end of the year? Absolutely, I do. Okay. Think about it. Right now, he's making like three million dollars this year. Mm-hmm. He's making three million dollars to do what roughly anybody in AAA could do. And, and I don't mean to be disloyal to a guy who's been with the team and fought through some adversity and stuff like that. Especially someone I've uh, had the pleasure of talking to myself. He's one of my favorite guys in the team, and I love sticking up for him. But the facts are facts, and he's really not that great. I mean, I'll defend him in the short term when someone goes, "Oh my gosh, Barmas, how could you make that error? How could you strike out?" Moogity blue. And I'll point out, like, hey, look at, you know, other good guy on the team who's 0 for 3 today. He made an error, too. Why are we crucifying him? Well, it's true that uh, most positional players don't – and well, in fact, first of all, you can't, through arbitration, receive a salary deduction. Um, I thought you could make 80% of what you made last year. Maybe. Okay, so you can't make a significant – uh, decrease. Yeah, we we can't drop him back down to minimum pay level. He'd and, have. To oh make- yeah, no, 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 absolutely not. But I mean, even with eighty percent, he'd still be making. I mean, he's making three point two five, right? Three point three two five. So he'd be making two point eight or three million dollars next year. Bought Re- it. That, that's absolutely regardless. Level. And he th- that still doesn't even happen very often. So you you wind up with him probably making about the same amount of money next year. Precisely. It, it would be like an organizational loyalty kind of thing. Honestly, that's three million dollars we can spend better elsewhere. I agree with you. However, I don't think at this point that the organization is going to do that. I, I don't – why not? Well, because A, they, they haven't been – I mean the they were in, incredibly patient with someone like Garrett Atkins who got okay. slowly, slowly worse, worse at each time. I feel like right now, even if they shouldn't be, they're looking at him as the starting second baseman next year too, and they're going to give him – uh, a contract to come to spring training and be the starting second baseman unless somebody else like Chris Nelson comes in and you know forces Clint Barmas into the utility role. We we have to keep in mind that okay, if they acquire Dan Ugla, things are different. And then that's kind of what the, what I'm operating on here. If we acquire Dan Ugla, then we non-tender Barmas and have Johnny Herrera do the same thing for cheaper. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, 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 that's my operating – my operating motive is if I ran the team, if I was the one in charge of the team next year, what I would do right now is obviously Mora would not be an issue next year. I'd pick up Miguel Olivo's contract. Right. Um, outfield, uh, boy, that's one of those tricky things there, but I'd probably turn to – I mean, Hop has, does Hop have an option on next year? Or yes, is it a, and it's, it's an option they're not going to – they are not going to pay $10 million for Hop. No, they basically, can't. I mean – I basically, love Brad Hop and it, go ahead, go ahead. Basically what's gonna happen with Hop is if he winds up being a reasonable first base option, they're still gonna turn the option year down, but they might try to re sign him to play first, or at least be sort of a you know, a, a safeguard because we don't really know what Helton's future is gonna be like either. He's still I mean, knowing Helton and knowing uh how much money he's owed, he's going to try. He's going to bloody try to play. Um, so, I mean, it's not just like, oh, we can e- easily right now say that Helton's done after this year. It's just not that simple. But we're going to want... obviously not. We're going to want uh, an, an, another option there to at least platoon with him, probably, unless unless he like comes back from the DL and is completely okay. normal again somehow. So, so basically, Hop's future with the team is stopped greatly in whether or not he can play first base well. And so here's the next thought here. Um, assuming that Todd Helton – okay, so one second, we're going to back to what I do. I turn down Brad Hopp's option. Um, I attempt to trade him because he's still – I mean before – it's before the option or whatever and see if we can't figure something out there. If no one takes him, I think I just have to decline the option, see if he'll sign, see if he'll sign for cheaper. If, if I can he, interrupt real quick, the thing about Hopp's option is he uh, – it gets voided after he's traded. Um, he has so, the option to void it if it's traded, if I recall correctly. It is, yes. That's what and, I said. The, the idea being we're not going to start you because he's lost a lot of playing time recently. I just I, – I hate to say it, but this – people mentioned this last year or earlier this year that Brad Hopp is another Garrett Atkins scenario. The thing about him is that he – I mean he's, we got a poor defender in a position that we have a better defender available for. We don't necessarily trust the guy that who might be taking his spot, but – um, Which is why the first base is so important for him. But I, what I was trying to get at was, if we trade him before we turn down the option, they have to, they have to have Brad Hop for ten million dollars, or else they turn down the option and he becomes a free agent anyway. Well, it's the only way I can see it is that we have a team who's in desperate need of and would pay ten million dollars for a year of Brad Hop at a DH okay. or first stage. I'm not I'm sure anyone that, would, but I guess a, it would be a worth a look. Yeah, it's a long shot. I'll throw it out there. It's a long shot. Anyways, I'm just going to pretend that Brad Hop is out of the organization in some beneficial means to the club. I mean, it'd be it would suck to lose him for nothing and just have to DFA, you know, not DFA him, but turn him down and then not get any. We could offer him arbitration, I suppose. And see right. if he can picks out of him. I think he's still at what type B eligible. Yeah, he's a type B. So that's not going to hurt the team that picks him up, anyways. Actually, he might have been a type A. I'll go look that up while you keep talking. That's fine. My point is, so we move Hop. We have an outfield that consists of center field Fowler, right field Gonzalez, left field Smith, Spilly as a, as, a, as a utility outfielder, and then if we decide that we want to stick with our whole five outfielder game, we call up someone like Cole Garner, who would be dirt cheap and he could play the corners. That's Cole Garner might be out of the. Might be out of the organization next year too, though, because he's eligible for minor league free agency. But so hypothetically, if I mean, once again, if Brad Hop's gone, though, let's pretend Cole, Cole Garner is going to be the fifth outfielder. So I'm not really saying Cole Garner has to be that guy. It could be Matt Miller. It could be. I know that he could be a free agent next year as well. You could be Eric Young Jr. It could be. It could be Eric. Oh my gosh, that just kills me on the inside. Yeah. Um, 
first base, and this is where it gets a little crazy here, is we give Helton every opportunity to make his whole rehab thing happen. If that doesn't work, Chris Inet is a first baseman. Not a lot of people are sold on his bat. I think that if he gets the regular, because that's everything that I read post um, demotion, or, or I should say after he's called back up, was saying that uh, Inet got a little frustrated saying, you know, I'm kind of tired of everyone telling me that I need to get my head on straight because I felt perfectly calm and the hits just weren't falling and I was relegated to backup duty and that sucks and I'm happy that I'm hitting well now and I hope I get more playing time. And the fact is that, I mean, he catch he, he like he had fun playing third base, which doesn't mean anything, obviously, but he takes grounders there, which kind of suggests that he could probably handle first base in a similar fashion, which reads as kind of Prince Fielder-ish, but, you know, whatever. Brad um, Hopp, by could, the way, is actually a type A. Okay, well, that makes this a little more tricky. Yeah. Because um, he might very well accept that arbitration offer that I'm suggesting here. Uh, point is, Chris Annette at first base. I don't see why that's a bad option. People will say, well, he's our backup catcher. Uh, yeah, whatever. Mike Piazza played first base, too. And granted, he was an atrocious catcher. Um, Victor Martinez plays first base as well. He did that with the Indians for several years. And granted, a lot of that was injury-related because he just, you know, they didn't have much faith in his knees at that particular time. So they put him at first base to keep his bat in the lineup. But having a catcher split time between first base and catcher is not unheard of at all. A lot of big-name catchers have done that, and I you know, just mentioned a couple right there. Um, so that leaves Olivo as our starting catcher. If the organization is set on having a distinct backup, and we're assuming that Hel- by this point, Helton would have proved that he is either going to be on the 60-day DL or something like that or you know, just whatever and couldn't do it. So I ended up becomes first-time first baseman. Dan Ugla at second. Tulewitzki at shortstop, Stewart at third, Olivo catching, Mike McHenry or Paul Phillips, probably McHenry, backing him up, Will Rosario bucking at the reins and destroying AAA baseball. Um, you're Ready out- to take over when Olivo cools. Precisely. Yeah. And, and see, I was talking to someone earlier this season, too, and this is outside of my fantasy. Well, I guess it's still in my fantasy world, but I was saying right now with Olivo hitting the way he is, it would not be a miserable idea to trade Chris Iannetta. And as much as that would hurt me on the inside, um, we could call it McHenry to be his back to be Malibu's defensive backups. We have an excellent defensive backstop tandem. Well, McHenry be better defensively in all aspects of the game, but you see the point there. In a couple of years here, Olivo goes, and then Will Rosario takes over, and we have a Will Rosario Mike McHenry tandem until someone like uh, until someone else in the system, you know, proves it. Pacheco's uh, Pacheco's. I, I for some reason I always mix him up with Arenado. Pacheco's a third ba- or a, a catcher, not a third baseman. Correct? He is indeed a catcher. Thank you. I, I, I remember asking Mark Gustafson about that about a potential move to third base for Pacheco, and he said. They're not going to force the issue until he proves he can't be a catcher. And so I got dis- I got mixed up with him and Arenado, who is a good third baseman. Anyhow, you s- that that is my organization right there. First base, Ionetta. In regards and- to the in regards to Ionetta and and trading him or or the the idea of trading him, I did consider it at one point. In fact, I think there was a quick stretch in there where I was really kind of almost in favor of it. But I think that the 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 concern you have with with trading him now, even though I agree with you that he's kind of being wasted in the backup role and that looking to explore moving him uh, to a position like first base might be, might be the way to go. I've kind of fallen off that position or at least become more skeptical about it because the more I think about it as, as legit as I think that Miguel Olivo's year is this year and as great as, and, and as many improvements that he has brought into his game, there's still no real reason to expect that he's going to keep that up for a, 
even a reasonable amount of time. I completely think it's the right move to pick up his option because it's so dirt cheap. It'll be cheaper than Ionetta next year. Oh, there's no way around it, but right. I mean... Right, but my, my point is that even if we pick it up, which we should, I'm not saying that we should even pretend that that there's there's reason not to. The only way we wouldn't there's, take a Belivo's option at this point is if he gets drastically injured, or uh, c- completely stops, which is no, no, uh, not really compl- a possibility. Even if he completely stops, no, they they will pick up his option. It would have to be literally no, by we are completely unsure. by completely stop. I mean completely stops, as in hits. You know, one hundred the rest of the season. Exactly. Exactly. I. I as bad as Alivo has been in his past, I don't see even if he falls off. I think right this season, and I'm being bullish on him, obviously here, but I think his basement level is basically last year. It's right. Sitting, it's sitting he, even if and, he returns to his career norm, we pick up the option. Is is basically mm-hmm. the point, which I agree with. The point I'm trying to make is. I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider picking that up, but if we do pick it up, I don't think that Rosario is going to be ready to take over next year. And McHenry's not a good offensive option. Right, and I, I don't even look at McHenry as a starting catcher anymore. Oh, I, no, no, no. I, I think, everything I've ever seen about Mike McHenry says this guy is going to be your – he's going to be Danny Ardoin. He might. I think he'll he, be better than that. But, well, uh, it, it, the point is it's a legitimate comparison. Weak bat. If he bats 250, we're, we're, we're popping champagne, I think and he, he throws out anyone who even thinks about running. I think he can do better than that, and I think that, first of all, he's going to be much younger than Ardoin. I don't really consider that an apt comparison, to be honest. But well, when I said Ardoin, I didn't really literally mean that Mike McHenry is going to be 34 years old and something like that. I just mean defensive journeyman type who would be a backup at best, maybe a starter for a completely struggling rebuilding club. Oh, well, I'm getting distracted here. Ultimately, I I don't think Rosario will be ready. I don't think McHenry can do it. And I don't trust Olivo to do 2010 at, as well as we think he will, if that makes sense. And, and I, no, so I having, having Chris Iannetta still around next year, even if even if he's not at first base, and even if he is still second string catcher behind Olivo to start, I think it's invaluable to still keep Chris Iannetta. Oh, and and re- realistically, I agree with you, and that's a combination of what would be, I mean, what would be a safe idea as well as my blatant homerishness toward the guy. Uh-huh. Um, I, I wouldn't, I do not want them to trade him. And in fact, he is murdering the ball so far in July. I pulled up a splits real quick and granted, this is an absurdly small sample. So please don't think that I am, you know, blowing the catcher of the future horns again. But since he got called back up in 42 June plate appearances, again, not special, but 42, he batted 265, which is what Ionetta can do at his peak. He got on base at a 405 clip and slugged 441. The thing that concerns me about that line is a low slugging. So far in July, in 18 plate appearances, again, ridiculously small sample, he's batted, he, he boosted his batting average a whopping two points to 267. But he's also getting on on base at that 389 clip still, which is actually worse than last month. But point is that he's slugging 867. I mean, that's an ISO of 600 right there. That's a 1256 OPS. And I also assume that that, that reading is before his game today. And, and I think it actually is. I don't believe Fangraphs will update by till tomorrow morning. Right. So if we account for his home run that won the game for us because no one else did anything, um, that's uh, that's going to do nothing but help him. And actually, what's even funnier about it is his bat. It's been like all home runs. Let's see. In July so far, he's uh, hit three home runs. 
He has struck out two twice and walked three times, and his batting average on balls is play is a hundred. <laughs> One and it's such a small sample size you can't yeah. really draw any meaningful evaluation out of that. The entire point of even mentioning his stat line for July is saying Ionetta is seeing and hitting the ball well right now, and I think it's an absolute crime to take him out of the lineup for any reason. Granted, Hop made a couple good stretches and a couple good plays yesterday. It was big news. But I, I mean, I'm glad that Rank mentioned that Ionetta would at least be taking grounders at first. If Helton's going to continue to be on the DL, I mean, we have four first baseman prospects. When I say prospects, I just mean potentials. Right. Four guys we want to play first base on the active roster right now. We have five if you count Mora. Which we you have shouldn't. Giambi, who, which you shouldn't. But uh, to be fair, start another Giambi debate. Right now. Well, here's the thing. To be, I'm, to, we'll be, we'll be fair. Let's be to fair. To be fair to Jim Tracy. He knows that Mora can't play second or first, or he's not comfortable enough with him there. So even though he's kind of got his hands tied with Mora, and even though he's batting him clean up, and even though we always rave about him showing too much favoritism to Melvin Mora, part of the reason that we're looking at Ionetta and Hop at first base is so we don't have to play Melvin Mora there when we're yeah. facing a left-handed pitcher. Right. So. It, it's kind of funny, though, because as much as I'm complaining about not having good first base options right now, Jason Giambi in his 30 July plate appearances – is posting an OPS above a thousand. Yeah, he's actually had a really good uh, recent streak, and uh, I think he's batting. Can... Go ahead. He's batting four sixty two. He's getting on base at a five thirty three clip and a five thirty eight slugging. That I mean, the ISO. He's 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 basically hitting singles and walking. And you know what? Honestly, right now I'm okay with it. He he hit no home runs and two doubles. And, you know, right now we're kind of at any port in a support in a storm at first base right now. I mean, second base, will we will sacrifice bat for glove with first base. That is almost entirely the organizational philosophy, at least as far as a short-term fill-in-the-gap solution. We're gonna we're not going to go and put Brad Eldred at second base just because we can say, oh, let's get some thump in the second base. <laughs> we're we're going to put someone who can feel the position quite well, and we'll be able to at least back up the defense that way and then just hope and pray whoever's at first base will do the job. So Giambi's hitting the ball well. Ionetta's hitting the ball well. Um, Hop is also hitting the ball well, which is kind of surprising, considering how he fell off a cliff the last two months here. Well, we, we, have, to, we have to remember the thing about Hop is that only Barmas is streakier than Hop. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hop so... posted a 625 OPS for the month of June. So far in his 17 July plate appearances, he is posting a 820 OPS. Mm-hmm. Which means he's being outclassed by Giambi, and I know we're not really thinking about Ionetta at first base legitimately yet, but he's also being outclassed by Ionetta. I don't see – I mean, this is just the thing. I think that – I hope Brad Hop – once again, I hope, prove me wrong, Hopper, but I don't see him resurrecting his season. I think Hop's done for. Maybe – I don't mean – If he in, catches on at first base, he has a shot to do it. Because he hasn't even really gotten – I mean, he got hurt with the, the whole ribs thing, and then – Tracy kind of realized, hey, I kind of like the outfield with that hop in it. So he kind of got relegated to the 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 pseudo bench role. I will start you once every three games against a pitcher I think you can hit kind of role. How much, you, you, the problem right now is that we literally have a four or three player first baseman go round. Uh-huh. We with Giambi, Brad Eldred, and Brad Hop. Obviously, when Helton comes off the DL, assuming he's healthy, assuming he's ready to rock faces off. This is a big assumption, mind you. Um, Brad Eldred's obviously going to get DFA'd. 
Um, that he's out of options, correct? He is. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely tr- triple check that he yeah, is. So- he does. He, I mentioned in one of my rock piles. I think it was the one from last week. Yeah. That uh, it might be worth it to just imagine, and I mean, I. I, I kind of had to defend myself. I'm saying this is not an endorsement of Brad Eldred. I'm not saying we should like make an effort to keep him on the roster. But if somehow he, you know, makes his way through every cut that we make through the rest of the season into September, and somehow he's still on the roster, having the right-handed power option, which is something that is completely dry in our organization right now, particularly if we don't get someone like a Dan Ugler or some such, uh, might it might be worth that roster spot. No, I agree. And if we're, think, if we're talking 2011 right now, I mean, there's no way Giambi's back with the club next year. There's just no way. I, I, re- I, I'm sorry. There's just no way. It makes no sense whatsoever, especially with the guys that we need to be trying to put at first base. Well, I, I agree with you, actually, but I should also point out that we said the same thing last year, <laughs> and they did it anyway. I don't think I was quite as much on the there is absolutely no way wagon, but yeah. – At least speaking for myself, I was on the it doesn't make any sense bandwagon. But, I thought uh, – I, w- I was still enamored by how fun Giambi was, so I didn't care that he, that he probably wouldn't be able to keep up anything close to it. Okay. But for right now, I mean Giambi is pre- – I mean it actually kind of surprises me that they started Hop. It, it really does considering the fact that Giambi has been hitting well. I'm glad that they finally started Hop at first, but I'm kind of it's kind of a head scratcher, frankly. Well, I, I actually I actually think there's two reasonable reasons behind it. The first being that even though Giambi's been hot, they don't trust him to be an everyday first baseman. Fair. And they also don't trust Eldred to be an everyday first baseman. Fair. So you know, <laughs> I guess it doesn't necessarily mean that there have to be an every three day first baseman, but I think they're looking at it as assuming Elder doesn't stay very long, like you said, and Helton still can't uh I mean for example Herrera if Hop can play first base and Herrera keeps being reasonably singly productive even when Tulo comes back assuming he beats Helton which I don't know that he will but assuming he does they're going to get rid of Eldred over Herrera so I guess oh, yeah, the point yeah, is no question. if they don't trust Giambi to be an everyday first baseman and they don't trust Eldred to stay on the roster, then having Brad Hop there to switch off with him every once in a while makes perfect sense. And I well, think wait, that's really what they're thinking about right now. Another way you could look at that, and I'm pretty I, I wasn't taking into account the whole Giambi shouldn't play every day thing. If we're thinking about Giambi is a you play two out of three games and then you have a seat, no matter what, um then I guess we have Eldred and Hop so we can play lefty righty matchups. Uh-huh. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, with Eldred being a big strikeout potential against Edison Volquez, it made sense to start Hop. Um, <laughs> and then with uh, if we bring up a tough lefty, you got Eldred, who could probably do it or something. I don't know. I mean, it's Jim Tracy's mindset, so righty hits lefty. There you go. Right. Um, so I mean, we it just it, it just kind of blows my mind a little bit about how bizarre our roster is shaped right now, as far as positions and and actually do you mind if i launch into a little rant here no that's what this I, I brought this up on the, on the comment section <laughs> it's perfect i actually i have a youtube channel that i want to pick up and if uh if matt musey and i end up hanging out regularly still i think i'm gonna have to include him on rants because that would be funny anyways um we might be having him on the podcast price, by the way that'd be cool <laughs> we, having one of the SB nation denver writers on would be definitely a treat yeah um okay so anyways my rant 
when we mentioned Dan Ugly and it became any kind of a the fact that Ranky I mean, before I actually launch when we were talking about the legitimacy of trades, why would this be a complete illegitimate thing if we're already saying, well, if we brought in Dan Ugly, we'd have to move him to first base? That tells me that this has been discussed a little more than just, oh, hey, I hear Ugly is a thing. Uh, okay, never mind. It seems like there's a little more in, in discussion there because if, if we know that Ugly doesn't want to move to first and we're talking about moving into first. Anyways, more conjecture. Um, why is it the minute we talk about bringing the guy in a position, we immediately talk about moving him out of position? I understand we have a need at first base there, and I understand Dan Ugla is not exactly, you know, Chase Utley at second base when it comes to the glove. Or Clint Barmas at second or base. Or Clint Barmas or, or Brandon Phillips or insert good second baseman here. Um, why are we talking about moving him right off the bat? I am firmly – I mentioned this earlier in this recording as well. Bring him in and start him at his position on his baseball card until he proves he can't do it or we really just can't handle his production or whatever, then talk about moving him. We bring in Melvin Moore to be a first and third backup, which because that's the one, that's what we were looking at Fernando Tatis for as well this offseason. Why is it the first thing we do is say, hey, we want to try you in center field and second base. Why can't we just bring a guy in and say, hey, we want to have a set lineup? I understand right now with the injury to Helton and, and players not performing up to snuff, we're in an interesting spot where they're having to do a lot of juggling. But the fact that we have this many guys playing in very bizarre positions, more at second and left field at all the season, when he comes back, Eric Young in left field, um, Clint Barmas at shortstop makes sense because he's pretty much a utility guy who happens to be starting anyways. And same thing with Herrera. Um we obviously had to push Hop to right field in the Hel- in Helton's absence, but for bringing guys in, I'm I'm almost concerned organizationally that we'll be branded as the organization that refuses to play guys in their positions and has has to make everybody into this super versatile player. It's not going to make it an attractive destination for players who expect to be playing a position. If we're going to say, oh, if we bring you in, you're going to be expected to play all nine positions. You, you could can't. also. You could also kind of uh, throw Chris Nelson into that party, even though he's not really being brought into the organization. He was brought up as a shortstop well, to play second base, but was only played at third. <laughs> and, and Well, we did play him at second base on right. the uh, Saturday game against Milwaukee. We but, started uh, him at third. Yeah, yeah, we started him at third. I that in the Nelson's case, I guess this kind of take this roll this back further. Why was Nelson not started to convert to second base in Tulsa? I understand that he started at second a couple times in the springs, and maybe he even got a couple spots at second base in Tulsa, but why we're not saying, hey, we have this Tulowitzki feller, and he's not going anywhere for several years here. You're not going to make it as a shortstop in this organization, kid. We moved, got, we moved Hop and Atkins from first base to right field and third base, respectively, like the minute Helton, the minute we even thought, you know, I think Helton already signed his contract at that point. So I was like, hey, kid, you're not going to make it as a first baseman. You better start learning another position now or you're never making the majors. Why are we, I mean, Tulewitzki's pretty much entrenched, at least for the time being, at set shortstop. Why are Gomez and Nelson not being moved now to second base? So when they come to the majors, they're fully acclimated at a position that they didn't come up with, you right. know, they weren't ready for. I mean, I don't understand why this organization sits on their hands about our own depth as far as where it's obvious they're going to play right now, at least recently, because we obviously moved uh, we obviously moved Atkins and Hop to their their current positions or you know what you know what I mean. The we also moved uh, we also moved Jeff Kindle out of the infield as well recently. Well, I don't think he's too much. Uh, whatever. Um, 
yeah, that's just the thought there. When we bring guys in, we say, hey, can you play nine positions? And then we leave our minor leaguers at their drafted positions. It just doesn't seem to be putting our ducks in a row very well for success. It doesn't seem like the organization is setting these guys up best for major league success. Right. And- they they aren't they aren't stacking them in in the uh in the ideal order. I mean, you have to like as soon as I started doing the Project Libra thing, you know, I've noticed how just one transaction at the major league level has to filter down into the minors and people switch hands and switch teams all over the place. It makes you realize that the major league teams operations really should well, they do and it should be it's the people who have the power in this situation should be aware that uh, there really is a significant effect that it has on the minor league system. Uh-huh. And I mean, I'm I'm sure it's the last thing on someone like Jim Tracy or Dan O'Dowd's mind or something like that when they have to make a transaction. You know, but this it, should be Billy Schmidt's and Mark Gustafson's priority, right? Everyone who keeps track of the the construction of the minor leaguers and and where they play and how often they play and when they're going to pitch and when they're going to play and uh all sorts of that thing it should be incredibly important to them when they realize that one player's you know entrenched at the major league level and the stream of uh you know prospects coming up aren't going to be able to escape because you know there's a finger pointed in the in the barrel there and yeah. they can't uh, they can't move any further. And I mean, Chris Nelson again is a perfect example of that. To be fair to them, now they are well aware of this, and they've been playing Chris Nelson at second and third all the time since he went back down. But, but it almost seems like a reactionary move rather than is. a reactionary well, move. In fact, I mean, it would still be a reactionary move if they did it after Tulowitzki. It would still be reactionary to Tulowitzki, but it should have been reactionary a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I understand, like, you bring them in a rookie league ball. I mean, if we're talking about high school players, yes, rookie ball, play them in their natural position because that's what they're accustomed to. Let them get adapt to professional baseball. Heck, even if Tri-Cities, maybe even Asheville keep them in their natural positions, but if they hit Modesto or higher, they had better be prepared for the position that will get them the best chance of solid playing time in the major league level, specifically pointing fingers at um, Chris Nelson and Hector Gomez. Now, obviously, with it's kind of... Uh, we should be thinking the same thing with guys like... Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. Charlie Blackman, center fielder. Make sure he's prepared to play both the corners. Um, Nolan Arenado, you might be asked to play second base. Can you take grounders a second at least? Um, I mean, the only position I will like give the pass on that to is catcher, because catchers are catchers, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of what they do. Um, they catch, and so maybe at least having them like Ionetta taking grounders at third prepared would be a, a good sign at least, but. but I think you see. I think we've made the point pretty clear here. If you're listening, organization, Colorado Rockies organization, get your prospects ready to play in the majors at the position they will probably end up playing at. Uh, just real quick, we can bam. We, we can make one brief note. You had mentioned before that you were discussing the idea of Troy Tulowitzki's positional future, specifically where he'll be in the infield starting next year and going through the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, you know, if for some reason they wind up deciding to move him somewhere, you'd mentioned that you were discussing with somebody who had kind of a seemingly radical idea that maybe they should think about making him the first baseman well, I was sooner rather than some- later. I was speaking, I was tweeting back and forth with a user on Twitter named, goes by Lukey D, and, uh, 
you know, Luke, if you're listening, um, I'm going to make sure you're linked to this podcast because we're talking about you here. But um, I was mentioning, um, I, I believe uh, I was saying, uh, no, it was Trey Rank made a mention about how Barmas, blah, 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 shortstop. And I said, I maintain that I think Barmas is a better shortstop than Tulowitzki defensively, but not to the point where you say, well, Tulowitzki has to move because Barmas is better. That's kind of silly right now because it, we're talking about a 10 versus an 8, you know? You don't move an eight out of position just because there's a ten available with a weaker bat. Mm-hmm. It, it, no, you don't do that, especially when you got a guy like Stewart who could. Anyways, his thought is Tulowitzki is an ideal eventual first baseman, but his childlike obsession with ro- roaming the middle isn't likely to wane. Um, he makes he compares him to Derek Jeter and how Derek Jeter was so entrenched at shortstop that when they brought in the great Alex Rodriguez, who is a was a shortstop, they had to move him to third base because Derek Jeter is the captain of the Yankees and blah blah blah. He's concerned that Tulowitzki is going to do the same thing, and then we say, "Hey, dude, um, you're getting a little bit older here. You know, this is way down the line, and assuming Tulowitzki becomes like our franchise guy, um, hey, Tulo, you know, you're." you're getting older dude and your range is declining and stuff like that. You're a big dude. Let's go Ripken on you here and move you to third base. He's concerned that Tulowitzki won't make the move. And he also cites that Tulowitzki's injury potential. He's not comfortable with him really playing middle infield at all, that we should use him as our first base solution and then keep the, the gloves up the middle. Um, I said, I, then my immediate reaction was obviously, well, I can see Tulowitzki moving to third, but not first base. And uh, Lukey D here is saying that uh, Stewart being cost controlled, it makes it hard to find that opening at third base. I think we're thinking on different time frames here because I'm talking about five, six years down the line. I'm maybe not quite that long, but you see my point. Not like this season or next season. I don't think uh, we also read an article on Bleacher Report or something like that about this, too, that Tulowitzki should be moved to third base now because Stewart apparently sucks and uh, Barmas is a shortstop. It's it's. I will admit that I think Barnes is better at short than he is at second, but I'm not going to complain about him at second either right now. Stewart is young; he's 25. No, he is not Evan Longoria. No, he is not Ryan Zimmerman. But he is. He's he's got a. This is his first season to really kind of say, "Hey, take the job," and he's adapting still. And if next season he has a miserable floundering season, then we can start really thinking about it. But as I do, I strongly believe it's too early to try to think about Stewart being moved anywhere other than third base. And if we're talking years down the line, yeah, I could I could potentially see a Stewart first base, Tulowitzki third base, you know, someone at shortstop who whatever. Um, but right now, Tulowitzki's a shortstop. He's given. I mean, fielding metrics are saying that he's not quite as hot as he might be. Some say he's great better than others. I don't see him as a shortstop problem right now. He turns the double play just as well as anyone we've ever had. He works well with Barmas at second base. He works – I mean he communicates well with Stewart at third base. I don't see him as a problem. I don't see moving him as a problem right now. His injuries have been so fluky. I mean, yes, the quad injury was definitely a you know sports-related, athletic-related kind of thing. But like slamming his bat in the ground, cutting his hand open. Um Getting yes. hit on the pitch by Craig Baker. Those he aren't positional uh, no. faults, yeah. I, David Ortiz breaks his hand just – well, okay, not Ortiz. He's left-handed. But I, uh, I, I assume you meant Scott Baker. Did I, what did I say, Craig? Craig Baker's a Rockies prospect, yeah. Dang you, Craig. <laughs> how dare you? Hey, Scott Baker. I, I apologize. Scott Baker breaks Tulowitzki's hand. That, that same thing happens to any other right-hander who just you know wasn't able to move out of the way fast enough. It's not a I'm a shortstop, I get hurt kind of injury there. I don't see him as a brittle guy. I see him as have, having one big injury, and that's really about it. Mm-hmm. I don't see Tulowitzki at shortstop being a problem. 
I, at least not now. I do believe that in the future, and we pretty much – a lot of people have this uh, feeling at uh, on Purple Row as well that Tulewitzki will have to go Ripken later on in his career, and hopefully his ego will, won't be so big that he refuses to move. But third base is probably in Tulewitzki's future, but not until he's – we're talking 30 years old, and he is younger than – he's 25 right now. Right. So that being said, the infield, at least the left side of the infield, assuming everyone is, you know, when everyone gets back, it's going to be Tulowitzki and Stewart. Well, we're almost at an hour's length now, so I Dude, think it's we, about... We, we talked the daylights out of this podcast. Yeah, I th- we came up with some, some topics right in the middle that we didn't even plan on, which is cool. So uh, just real quick, I want to make a, obviously a quick note about this week's schedule. We've got, uh, we're continuing our road trip of doom, our post all-star road trip of doom, so, so to speak. Uh, we've got, uh, four games of Florida coming up this week, t- uh, today, I guess, if you're listening to this on Monday through Friday and then Saturday through, or no Friday rather through Monday, we are in Philadelphia. And I also want to make a quick note since I pointed this out in the rock pile on Friday, we have, uh, more than just this road challenge ahead of us, because we have another huge road trip immediately after a rather short homestand. We play three games when we come back against Chicago, three against Pittsburgh, and two against San Francisco. And then we go out again on the road for another four series. Um, Pittsburgh, New York, Dodgers, and Arizona with only a quick series of Milwaukee at home in there. So there was there was some total like 11 of the next 36 games are at home, which is very small percentage. So uh we really need as a team to improve our 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 road play. I was pleased to uh remember especially since we won uh today's game, Sunday's game, that we still haven't been swept ever this year, I believe. Knock on wood. Uh, I don't think I'm wrong, but I don't recall being swept by an opposing team. And, you know, you still want to play better than 333 on the road. But at the very least, uh, not getting swept today was big. So Yeah, no, today's win was absolutely gigantic. And honestly, I don't think there's much more we can really say about it than that because you all watched it. You know how big it was. Yeah. All right. Well, unless you have any last-minute super uh, quick notes to uh, deliver. I think we're about I'm good, dude. All right, then. I talked my ears. I talked your all your ears off. I hope you all enjoyed it. All right. Well, then, on behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you next week. Take care.